Hey everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of Mike Adelic. It's Mike Brancatelli here. Hope you're all doing well out there, staying sane, and not getting sucked in to the attention, time, energy, vortex of the Matrix machine that wants us to feed them with our most precious resources, our time, energy, effort, and attention, and drains us of our passions, our hopes, our inspirations, our creativity, our innovation, our ability for creative collaboration, healthy discourse and dialogue uh, with individuals. Uh, And uh, that's uh, what we all are. We're all individuals just trying to have good lives in this world. And today's guest definitely knows a thing or two about that as he is making his best life and creating awesome things. It's TK Coleman. Uh, You may know him from his many appearances on the Minimalists podcast. He was recently on Chris Ryan's show, Tangentially Speaking, and many more. He is uh, one of these guys that's just got his hat in a lot of different things. He's the host and producer of Revolution of One, uh, and he helps people think creatively. He's a coach. Uh, creating content for innovative entrepreneurs. Um, He is driven by individual freedom and uh, helping other people wake up to their own power, uh, you know, liberating people from uh, the confines of all of these sort of uh, energy-sucking, parasitic kinds of entities that I had mentioned. Uh, So he's also got um, a lot of good content on social media. He's pretty active on social media. He's active on Instagram. He's active on uh, Twitter. And you can go and find him there. You can find Revolution of One. Go there. You can also find TK Coleman at official TK Coleman uh, is uh, what his Instagram handle is. And TK underscore Coleman on Twitter. All those links will be in the show notes in the show description. And he is the Director of Entrepreneurial Education at FEE, FEE, the Foundation for Economic Education, FEE Online. And uh, as I said, the producer for Revolution of One, which is also a part of FEE. Uh, and um, his, uh, his Twitter bio says, personal development is the antidote to political despair. And man, I agree. I, I agree with that. I mean, I mean, how can we get so lost in this world and forget that it really all starts with us to be that dominant creative force in our own lives, as TK says, and produce our own revolutions, our revolutions of one. Vote for ourselves. As I've said on the show many times, we vote with our energy, our attention, our time, our choices. We vote with if we you know, want to be affected by certain things or or not affected by them. And uh, anyway, I'm not going to do too much rambling on here, but you can go to fee.org, fee.org and check out TK stuff. If you go to fee.org slash rev one, you'll find his revolution of one content. And uh, it's, it's all, it's all uh, available for you out there on the interwebs. Remember that was like a thing when people would say, oh, I, use the, I use the internet to go on the online. And, you know, I guess it's kind of, where did that come from? Borat or something? Came from something like that. I don't know. Big shout out to our sponsor, Sheath Underwear. Sheath Underwear is amazing. I love them. They're incredible. If you need underwear, which I suspect everyone does. They make men's and women's underwear. It's amazing. It's silky smooth. 
It's got a pouch compartment to separate your man parts, which is really innovative. And uh, the owner is just a, an amazing human being, big fan of podcasts uh, and uh, and comedy and um, just a really kind, warm-hearted individual who had uh, had an idea and was like, hey, I think this will be a good idea. And he's making it happen. And uh, man, if... if if there's anything I support, it's it's that it's that you know entrepreneurial spirit of getting out there and just creating, just being, just doing. You know, I say it on this podcast all the time. If you have an idea for something, anything, just just start doing it. You know, you're probably not going to be good at it right away, but like every entrepreneur will tell you, you know, there's no secret uh, formula. There's no secret system. Sure, there's things that can aid and help you, and I'm sure like today's guest TK is one of those guys who can help you, uh, but really it's that stick to that passion, that, that reason to keep going, uh, that burning desire that exists within all of us to make something great, to be something great. And, uh, you know, greatness doesn't just come right away. And it's not greatness from validation from others. It's greatness about you feeling satisfied with what you're producing and what you're creating. And if you're feeling satisfied with, you know, just making a couple posts every day on Twitter or something like that. Cool. That's your creative output. Like that, if you feel satisfied just writing in your journal, if you feel satisfied just drawing, you know, every now and then with some colored pencils or something, great. It's whatever fulfills. We don't all have to be CEOs. We don't all have to be, um, you know, dominating the world and, and everything like that. It's just about fulfilling our purposes and making sure that we're living up to our, our, the potentials inside of us that satisfy us that truly make us feel nourished and fulfilled and satisfied. So whatever it is that you're doing, uh, do those things. Is this still an ad? No, it's not. <laughs> I just started diverted. But I will say that sheath underwear is amazing. If you use the code Mikeadelic, you get 20% off. And I believe they're having other kinds of sales and deals. So if you pay attention to a time when they have, I think they just had a Halloween sale. So it was like 31% off for Halloween. And then you use the 20% off with Mikeadelic and you get a double thing. I don't know if they want me to tell you about those secrets, but I'm telling you because I love you guys. And I love that you listen to this show and support the show. Uh, and sheath underwear is just, it's just awesome. I wear them all the time now because I have so many pairs. It's, it's fantastic. My girlfriend loves them. She's like, wow, these are, these are really comfortable. I was like, yeah, see, I told you. So they make stuff for men, for women, moisture wicking fabric, uh, innovative pouch compartments, and just really, really super smooth, comfortable underwear. They also have really amazing t-shirts as well. It's my new favorite t-shirt. I've been wearing it almost every day. Go check them out, sheathunderwear.com. Big shout out to, oh, and put in the code Mikeadelic and you get 20% off. Mikeadelic for 20% off. Big shout out to... Uh, student loan tutor, check them out. Go on, schedule a free evaluation. Say that I sent you there. See if they can help you with your student loan debt. That's all I'm going to say about that. They're awesome. They've helped me tremendously. And let's see if they they can help you as well. Doesn't cost anything to schedule a consultation. Uh, big shout out to everybody that leaves five star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. That it's uh, it's amazing. And uh, you don't have to leave a review, but when you do, man, does that make me feel good. So thank you very much. And make sure you go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank, M-I-K-E-B-R-A-N-C, and become a patron. Uh, I'm going to start doing more and more stuff on Patreon. And the goal is really that to build out this community, you know, aside from just bonus episodes and things like that, just one-way content coming from me, I want to have more participatory types of content coming out, more 
uh, dialogue, discussion, mind jams, uh, Zoom calls, book club type stuff that I'm formulating right now. So uh, help help the show out. Help give us a little bit of confidence in creating this stuff. Show us that you're enthusiastic about that. Come be a, a patron member, and uh, we're gonna, we're going to be creating some awesome stuff. I got ideas to do things with video with a studio, having people come in, uh, possibly having like a producer slash second mic person and uh, just doing some different things, different formatting with the show and things like that. So uh, in order to help get those things, uh, it helps when you do things like buying the underwear from Sheath or it helps when you support the show on Patreon. Either way, we're getting a little bit of funding to create the things that we want to create. And man, I got some great ideas. So, uh, and if you have good ideas too, let me know. Uh, I'd be, be interested in hearing about them. Yeah. You can email me, mikeadelicpod at gmail.com. Go to my website, mikebrank.com, B-R-A-N-C, and uh, check it all out. All right. Well, uh, I released a, an election episode that was before the election. It was a like 2 p.m. on election day. I just recorded what I thought might be going on. Uh, and I'm going to start doing more of that stuff. And uh, stay t- so stay tuned for that. And I uh, hope you guys enjoy this episode with the great T.K. Coleman. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Information is power, but we have to seize seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. All right, well, I'm here with TK Coleman. Welcome to the show, my man. What's going on, Mike Adelic? I love that name, bro. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, so as I was saying before, like pretty much like this show has always sort of tried to combine this sort of esoteric, metaphysical, conscious, psychedelic, spiritual realm communities with the core fundamental human rights of, of uh, like our innate inalienable birthrights to, to liberty to freedom um and 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 uh you know i i sort of used to be uh more identified in that camp and now i sort of just try and float around as a just a general like anarchist i guess but some people hear that and they go oh no like what does that mean yeah yeah i guess more leaning towards the and cap side of things so uh anyway but um but yeah man let's let's uh let's let's get into it so 
Where should we where should we begin? Because there's so many places that we can begin. We can begin with like education, which has been a, a, you know a passion of mine to talk about. And you're you're involved with so many things. So maybe maybe we should start with what's at the top of your mind right now, and then we can kind of jump off from there. And just I'm sure that we can just roll into a good conversation from that point. Yeah. Well, uh, first. I, I, I uh, relate to what you were saying about anarchy, like finding which label you go with. W- one of my favorite talks is there's this uh, YouTube video with Carl Hess and Robert Anton Wilson. They're having a conversation. It's called, I believe it's called Subversion for Fun and Profit. Yes. And at one point in the interview, uh, Robert Anton Wilson says, I call myself a libertarian, but that's only because most people don't know what an anarchist is, you know? And, I know exactly and, what you're talking about. I love that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so lots of people go by different names, voluntarists and so forth. My my term of choice is political atheist because I am a non-believer in the salvific power of the political process. Um, I am a non-believer in the philosophy of authoritarianism that undergirds the state. And I, I believe that ultimately the power that changes worlds is creativity, not coercion. And I believe that uh, the human individual is the ultimate expression of that creativity. And I believe that if we want to see things done in the world, we are better off not placing our faith in politicians, not putting them on a pedestal, but putting our own potential on a pedestal and doing everything that we can to actualize our potential as individuals and taking ownership of the results that we want to create, not putting that in anybody's hands, period. And that's an unpopular philosophy because the, the, the reason I like the term political atheist is because I truly do believe politics more than Christianity or anything else is the true religion of our country. I can I can walk into any church and say I'm an atheist and I'll have at least half the people in the church be like, OK, OK, well, where are you coming from, brother? Where are you coming from? Why are you an atheist? And at least be somewhat tolerant of me. But there's no place I can go in this country and be like, I didn't vote today without everybody, right or left, getting mad at me, right? That's one thing that everybody in this country uh, gets together on, you know, uh, right or left. Like, as long as you vote, as long as you vote. Heresy! Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's far more controversial in this nation than being an atheist, because the Christians and the atheists alike will see everything that's wrong with the world as your fault if you say you don't vote. And so my belief is rather heretical. Because the conversations that I want to have are never about something that Joe Biden said or something that Donald Trump said. Trump is not my devil, nor is he my Jesus. Biden is not my devil, nor is he my Jesus. I'm about dealing with the shadows, dealing with the resistance on an individual level that keeps us from becoming our best selves. And that's the conversation that I always want to have. And it's my prerogative to only have that conversation. And as far as I'm concerned, Um, There's no shortage of people that are willing to sit around and talk with you about uh, all the things they love and hate about some politician. But I'm already bored. I'm already asleep. As soon as that conversation's, you know, started, that's that's just not my mission in life. That's not what I'm about. So um, I I feel you on that, man. And and I'm I'm a proud political atheist. And and yeah, I, I just I just relate to what you're saying in terms of sometimes struggling with finding the right label to talk about what you really think about things. Yeah. Well, you do a really, really good job of, of communicating that message. You know, um, everything that you do, 
with Revolution of One, Fee, Vote for Yourself. I mean, I love that, right? Like I've been telling people that vote with our time, vote with our attention, vote with our energy, vote with, you know, how we you know, look at the world and the choices that we make, vote with our dollars, vote with, you know, what matters to us because ultimately, but, you know, uh, you, you, it seems like, well, you do a good job of it. You do a good job of, of getting people on board, right? And so- Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, you do. And and I think that all of us that sort of understand these principles and live by these principles and and really have this uh this faith in ourselves and the the belief in in the power of of liberating ourselves and 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 operating in this empowered way, uh yet it seems to be to be that the mass culture and mass society like Almost like that Back to the Future, you know, uh, scene where he's like, "Oh, I, I don't think you guys are ready for this one, but your kids are gonna love it," you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what what do you see out there in terms of like, um, like a, a, a I guess, uh, you know, Tom Woods always does a good job of this, where he puts out like the 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 ten arguments just that'll destroy the the yeah. the you know the the forces that are that are coming like you know the the rebuttals the the you know, what about the roads like that these kinds of things so in your realm in your area when you're talking about you know education and the things that you're doing like what are some of the 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 resistance pieces that you come come into that you hear people say yeah well what about this or what about that or yeah so interestingly enough people that politicians love to describe as being marginalized or disenfranchised or oppressed are the ones that respond most positively to this kind of talk. Because even though they, like everyone else, have been conditioned to look to politics as the source of social change, they also identify very deeply with the experience of suffering and discontentment. And deep down inside, they know, no matter how much they fret over politics, that the day after the election, they're going to wake up and still be who they are. And they're still going to have to show up to work for themselves. They're still going to have to solve their own problems. They know that Biden, Trump or whoever else it might be isn't going to take a trip to their house and be like, all right, let me let me pay your bills. Let me work out your marriage problems or whatever. So they're deeply rooted in, 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 in this identification of self with suffering. And so when you talk to people who, who like identify strongly with suffering, they are ready to hear a message of hope that is grounded in determined optimism, not naive, fluffy. Everything's going to get better because we live in a magical universe that's always conspiring to make everything right. But rather, you have the power as an individual to move the needle in a positive direction, in a constructive direction just by making small but consistent changes in your life, just by, you know, taking advantage of, of, of the opportunities that you have every day to do stuff that doesn't necessarily look as sexy as voting for a politician, but that over time, uh, over time compounds to create massive changes. They respond to that pretty well. Where I get my resistance is people that are successful, that do make money, that are doing well, and who don't really identify with the experience of like just getting their asses kicked by life because it's hard to get people like that out of this mindset of, yeah, I know that stuff works for me, but what about the poor guy over there? Yeah, that stuff works for me, but you know, I'm privileged. And what about the guy over there that's not as privileged as me? It can be challenging 
to to talk to people that are entrenched in this mindset that makes them feel really guilty about their own success or really guilty about the the good things that have happened to them. And, and so many people like that are so eager to use politics as a way of saving the people that they feel sorry for. And many of the problems in this world are problems that are not created by the poor having a victim mindset. The biggest problems in this world are created by rich and powerful people who are eager to save the poor and the marginalized, and they make things a hell of a lot worse by by meddling in people's lives in ways where freedom would do a much better job at helping people achieve a life that reflects liberation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm. I you know I hated school growing up. Uh, still to this day, public yeah. school. I mean, I hated it. I just thought it was stupid. Uh, I I I remember being like, why do I have to wake up? At, at like 6.30 a.m., um, my brain is still developing. I don't even know what the hell's going on at this time of day. I'm dazed and confused, and I'm sitting in a, a, cl- a classroom uh, with fluorescent bright lights and uh, later, you know, read John Taylor Gatto's book, Dumbing Us Down, and, you know, other things like that and and how, uh, how that education system is designed off the Prussian model of the military and all this stuff. Yet we still have this. And if you if you mention something about like, hey, let's let's talk about alternatives to education, people automatically assume that you just want people that can't um, afford to to have private education, that we're just going to they're just going to be left out in the streets and we just want them to die. You know, and that's just not that's not the case. There's other ways. There's other models. There's other methods. And I think it also starts with a with like what you were talking about is is having like this this mind frame and this belief and this attitude and this perspective, this this sort of positive perspective that we can all come together as individuals voluntarily. and, And we do it all the time cooperatively to create amazing things. Yet somehow we need this authoritarian centralized force to mandate what our children are, are, are learning, learning. Oh man, there is no force in the world more underestimated than the creative power of self-interested voluntary exchange of value. Yeah. There, there's a, I, I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about the existence of God once. And I, I differ with him on the position of ultimate reality, but I, I thought he said something really interesting here that's actually applicable to what we're talking about. So he was talking about the notion of invoking God as a hypothesis to uh, account for something that you can't explain. So you observe something in the world. Why did that happen? I don't know. God. And he says, this is, you know, the God of the gaps fallacy. Now, he didn't he didn't coin that term that's been around in philosophy of religion for a long time. But one of the things that Dr. Tyson said about the God of the gaps fallacy, he says, if you want to play the religious game that way have at it. But the downside of that is God becomes the ever receding pocket of scientific ignorance, Mm. meaning that you have this large pocket of territory that you get to call God territory because nobody can explain it. But then if science comes up with a way to explain it, you say, okay, science, you can have that, but I'll still hang on to what's left in the pocket. And that pocket just gets smaller and smaller and it becomes the ever receding pocket of scientific illiteracy. I believe that statism or interventionism is the ever receding pocket of economic illiteracy. 
the only reason that people want a system of coercion to intervene in this process of determining the price of goods, the distribution of goods, like education or anything else, is because there is a failure of imagination. There is an inability to understand the economic principles that give rise to the prosperity and abundance that we seek. And so I believe that a lot of people who say things like, no, nah, man, we can't we can't support alternative education or private education because that'll be bad for the poor. I believe most people who say that are sincere. Yes, there are a lot of powerful, manipulative politicians who pretend not to understand economics because they want to take advantage of people's gullibility. But I believe the average person who reacts in that way is being sincere. And it behooves us to respond to them as people who are being sincere. So, for instance, if you take a look at education, the way the system is set up right now, it's actually true that if you, you know, just open up a nice private school, that for the most part, only rich people will be able to afford it. But we have to ask ourselves, why is that true? That's not true because of something that's inherent about the nature of private education. It's true because we live in a system now where government has a monopoly on education. So if I can use an analogy in the free market, imagine if imagine if Nike were able to pass a law that required everybody, even if you're not athletes, even if you don't even go for walks, no matter who you are, you have to buy Nike. Okay? So that means no matter what, Nike already has you as a customer. They're already making their money. The first thing that's going to do is that's going to artificially constrain innovation at Nike. We're not going to see prices driven down and we're not going to see innovation driven up because in order for that to happen, you need accountability to a customer based on the customer's capacity to opt out. But in a system where everybody by law is required to be a customer of Nike, we're going to see something similar to what we see in public education, right? Now, that doesn't mean that Reebok can't come out with a shoe. They can, but they have to compete with the business that they can't put out of business. They have to compete with a business that they can never actually defeat. The most that they can hope to do is be so good that people that are already customers of Nike will say, all right, I will be both a customer of Nike and a customer of Reebok, and I will spend my money twice because what you're doing is so good. That's the kind of situation that private education is in right now. Private education is like Reebok in my analogy. They have to be extraordinarily good because they are competing with something that they can't possibly put out of business. And that means prices are artificially driven up for everyone. But in a truly free market, it's not just that businesses and service providers are free to do whatever they want. It also means that customers are free to opt out of things that aren't making them completely happy. And if you've ever run a business, you know how fickle and how difficult to please and how arbitrary and subjective customers can be. Customers are hard. They will <laughs> yeah. force you. They will force you to be innovative and creative no matter how much you like it. Like the only thing that can guarantee creativity and innovation in this world is the fickle nature of customers who are like, nope, I'm not going to let you make me happy that easy. You, you got you to get it to me faster. You got to get it to me cheaper. Forcing business people to come down to their knees and be like, all right, what do we got to do to satisfy you so we can get this money? The only thing that protects service providers from that is when they get in bed with government and artificially insulate themselves from competition. So people are right that private education is this good that's not equally available to the poor, 
but that's only because they're going up against a monopoly and we don't have the freedom yet to experience the full range of, of, of innovation in education where you can see all kinds of financial arrangements that would make it possible for poor people to either get their education for cheaper than what the state offers it or to even be able to get it free as, as like an apprenticeship, for instance, in exchange for a certain amount of, of output on their own. Like, you know, you can make an agreement like, all right, you work at Google, you work at Google for five years. All right. Then we'll, we'll educate you for free, you know, for a couple of years here or there, you know, like different arrangements like that. That's not the only possible arrangement, but we just don't really get a chance to see what's really possible in education because it's a system that's designed to uh, prevent customers from having choice. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's unless, like, unless you're elite. Right. Right. It's uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, I'm thinking of like Plato's allegory of the cave, right? It's like, yeah. you know, the people are, they're like, there's a whole world out there. And the people that are in the cave, they just see these shadows and they're just like, no, this is real. This is all that we have. That's right in front of us. Why would we go and look anywhere else? It's like, you don't know what you're missing. This abundant, infinite yeah. world of opportunity. As you mentioned, the, the diversity of, uh, of ideas of financial arrangements and support systems, it, it doesn't have to just be one model. And I think that's the beauty. And that's really what that's the beauty of 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 what liberty means to me is the diversity of ideas, the diversity of experimentation, and the the diversity of unique people's unique gifts to shine in this infinite sea of of creativity. You know, I I tweeted something that got some like decent attention was like, we're these infinite beings and we're able to ponder and contemplate all these wonderful, magical, creative solutions, yet somehow in mass, you know, societal and cultural discourse, and especially in the political realm, we're just limited and boxed into these binary options. And we're just like, oh, well, it's either this or this. It's like, no, there's there's this whole open sea to explore. So where are you sailing your your ship in this open sea, TK? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm selling my ship down the path of self-actualization for me. My my uh, well, that's kind of redundant self-actualization, period. But my, <laughs> my my mission is to convince as many people as I can, starting with myself on a daily basis, that they have the permission and the power to be the predominant creative force in their own lives. To me, that is the, the end all be all of existence. And even though I enjoy riffing on the possibility of free markets, I am I am mindful enough to know that the political philosophy I advocate is so fringe that I personally think it's unrealistic to expect that I'm going to convince the majority of people that this is true. In fact, I, I tend to think that the most valuable truths are in some sense secrets that are that we hide from ourselves. They're, they're secrets, not because someone is keeping them from us. They're secrets because there's something about the very nature of the truth that is so demanding that most people would rather have something else. And so we opt for lifestyles that cause us to be willfully blind to them. I believe that most people are authoritarians, whether I like it or not. I believe that even if we hit the reset button and created a society overnight in which everybody had total freedom, I believe that most people would find a way to give that freedom to someone else in exchange for promises of security. I believe that's the kind of world we live in. And I don't think that the best use of my time 
is to try to convert as many people as possible to my philosophy of government. The best use of my time, as I see it, is to take advantage of every opportunity that I have to convince anyone, regardless of their political affiliation, that investments they make in the cultivation and creative expression of their own power is more valuable than any investment of energy and attention they make into politicians. And when I talk to people around the country about that, people are actually interested in that. I don't try to convince them to not vote or to not vote for this or that particular person. That's, that's people's religion. That's the religion of this country. And I'm not about to change people's religion. But what I try to convince them is to believe a little bit more, a little bit more in the direction that where the real change actually happens, that that's the kind of stuff that's birthed from within. I, I take the words of Jesus seriously when he said the kingdom of God is within you. That's something that I really believe. I, I really believe that that the kingdom worth fighting for is not a kingdom that's built with human hands. It's not a kingdom that politicians have power in. I believe the kingdom worth fighting for is in the realm of consciousness and, and it's doing work to become psychonauts who can go within and become explorers and adventurers in the realm of consciousness and unearth and extract interesting discoveries that we can share with one another through art, through innovation, through entrepreneurship, through joyful, playful interaction. I believe that's how we make the better world, by, by, by coexisting with these status, not in an attitude of endorsing what they do, but with a mindset to subvert the effects of what they do through our own creative efforts. So that's that's where my ship sails, man. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is something that I believe. This is something that I, I don't get hired to preach this. I'm nobody's hired gun. This is something that I have always believed. I don't have a conversion story. I never took a political red pill. I have never at any point in my life been a status. Nobody had to wake me up or unplug me. I, I've never been sleep on the left side of my bed. I've never been sleep on the right side of my bed. I've just never been in bed, never been in bed with the state. And I, I've never been inspired by or intimidated by anybody who is. I, I just don't think about them. From day one, my parents raised me to believe that the real power is God expressing itself through the individual life. And that's what you put your faith in. That's what you put your focus on. My One of my favorite Bible stories is that story of Moses and Pharaoh. And it was pointed out to me early on that Pharaoh was the politician. That was the agent of the state. And he was enslaving everyone. Okay? Uh, because that's what states do. In fact, that's why in the Old Testament, when the people of God said, we want a king, God spoke to them through the prophet like, wait a minute, I don't think that's what y'all want. They're, they're going to levy you with taxes. They're going to take advantage of you. They're going to oppress you. You should rather just deal with me directly. No, no, no. We want a king. We want to be like the other nations. All right, but you're going to regret it. Pharaoh was the politician. Who was Moses? He wasn't an agent of the state. He was outside that system. But he was a man of faith, a man of vision, a man of character, a man of leadership. And I believe that whole story represents that the battle between creativity and coercion, between faith and force, is always present until the end of time. But faith is more powerful than force. 
Creativity is more powerful than coercion. And although the work will never be done, it's a work that's worth investing in. And so I don't, you know, I, I don't try to fool around with being a part of that system and, and endorsing that system or controlling what people do in that system. I, 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 focus, I focus on an individual level and I try to influence people through my businesses, through my creative projects and, you know, through the education work that I do with Fee, man. Yeah, you do. You do so much. And um, yeah, maybe we could talk a little bit about that. You want to talk a little bit about what you're what you're currently working on right now? Yeah, man, I do quite a bit of stuff, man. So I both coach and I'm 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 in the process of creating a workshop for all NBA. Uh, All NBA is, is Seth Godin's program that is designed to help professionals level up in their careers and, you know, just just really help people confront the resistance that's holding them back from from being their best selves in, in every area of life. But typically with the focus on, on professional life. And it's a creative approach to teaching a lot of the things that people don't get from a traditional MBA program. Seth Godin has been a major supporter of alternative education for a long time. Of, of, of innovating in education. And this is one of the thing, one of the many things that he does to support innovation in education. So I do a lot of coaching work with the Audit MBA and I'm, I'm currently uh, developing a communications workshop that that's about how to have important and difficult conversations. So that's that's something I'm focused on quite a bit right now. Uh, in addition to that, I have my revolution of one project. I've got four podcasts that I do and I'm looking at producing uh, at least double that amount over the course of the next 16 months and, and working more behind the scenes to produce different podcasts on different aspects of personal and professional development so that I can I can scale these efforts beyond my own individual ability to to be able to travel and show up for podcasts and stuff like that. And then I, I do a lot of workshops and seminars where I, I train people on the practical application of entrepreneurial thinking. And I have a special place in my heart for and a special emphasis on working with people of color. You know, uh, as a black man, um, I have an unapologetic sympathy and empathy for a lot of the plights and struggles that are happening in black communities around America. And there is nothing that makes me happier than seeing young black folks thrive, than seeing young black folks develop a spirit of determined optimism, than seeing young black folks realize that no matter how demonized they may be by media or anyone else, the entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well with them and that they are badasses that are capable of doing anything that they really apply their efforts to. And and seeing people wake up to that, you know, gets me really excited. And so I spend a lot of time focusing in that direction as well. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know you did four podcasts. Holy shit. That's crazy. That's yeah. When I, I mean, I'm always uh, in awe of people that are able to do all, all, you know, multiple things. It's, it's, it's amazing. And I might want to talk to you about that, that course actually that, that you just mentioned, cause that sounds really cool. I'm a big, big fan of Seth Godin. Um, yeah. T- tell me a little bit about, you know, the, the working with people of color and, you know, obviously this has been something that's that's in, in, in our, in our world right now where you see, like, I think it was just a, a, a day ago or so on Twitter, you know, it was like 50 cents says he's going to vote for Trump and everyone's like, Oh, well, you know, and remember you had that 
Biden thing where he's like, you ain't black if you're not voting for me. And, you know, you, you see a lot of, of people of color that are like, hey, like, look, like we're we don't have to be put into a box and labeled as just being, you know, following a particular ideology or party line just because it, just because you think we should. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm really interested to hear about that, because I feel like if we can sort of. Uh, if we could, if well, if you could, <laughs> if you are you know, reaching these reaching people and 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 sort of helping them to to wake up to their their own independent way of thinking and being and creating, I mean, man, that that's that's such a powerful force to be unleashing onto the, onto the world. So, yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. Absolutely, man. So, I've always felt that there has been a kind of anarchist sort of spirit. And in black communities in America. So I'll give you an example of something that I think many people who call themselves voluntarists, libertarians and and, and anarchists. Or even capitalists kind of maybe overlook when when we see things like the Black Lives Matter movement, I, I think for so long, certain sentiments have become so associated with certain political groups that we react as if those two things are the same, right? So we see somebody marching for Black Lives Matter, we immediately think Marxism, we immediately think socialism, we immediately think these are people that wanna come take away my guns, and we sort of instinctively react as if all those things are part of this one bundled up you know, mass. But I've always found it very interesting to look at the different ways that black people in this country react when a black person gets killed by the police versus the way white people react. So for instance, if you listen to people like Brandon Totem, Brandon Tatum or Candace Owens, black folks on the right, one, one of the things that, that they'll be very happy to point out, and I've seen them take a lot of people down in debates with this kind of stuff, Larry Elder brings it up too, is they'll say things like, you know, more white people get killed by the cops than black people. And they use that as an argument to basically let the Black Lives Matter people know, like, so shut up, mm. right? So shut up. More white people getting killed than y'all. But here's what's interesting about it. What do white people do in general when other white people get killed by the police? There, there's a kind of combination of trust and authority mixed with mind your own business that had nothing to do with me. I don't I don't know what that guy might have done. I don't know the whole story. I mean, I'm sure that cops aren't just going around trying to kill people for no reason. He probably had a good reason. And you just don't see white people feeling afraid for their own lives or angry when they hear about another white person getting killed by the cops. Right. It's just a thing that happened. On the other hand, person get killed by the cops. Even if you think the reaction is a little extreme, when it happens to a black person, the majority of black people in this country get suspicious. What was that cop doing? Why did he stop that black man anyway? Right. You know, and and look, sometimes sometimes it's not that deep. Sometimes, you know, it might have been a misunderstanding or whatever it may be. But I think there's something there with this propensity to be suspicious of authority. Now, I don't think that being suspicious of authority always means your conclusions are right. You can be suspicious and batshit crazy in the conclusions that you draw. But there's something beautiful about this thread of suspicion that runs through black communities 
that you often see come up in discussions like this. And I think that's that's a kind of anarchist spirit that comes from this deep-seated mistrust that is best expressed in the lyrics of Michael Jackson when he said, all I want to say is that they don't really care about us, right? There's this attitude of don't place your faith in that system. Don't place your faith in them, folks. They, they talk about us like they love us, but they don't care about us. They don't really care about us. We got to care about ourselves. Black people don't get enough credit for that in this country because what everybody wants to do is they want to say, well, the majority of black people vote, vote Democrat. So blacks are on the plantation. Black folks aren't thinking. Black folks don't think for themselves, blah, 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 blah. But I would encourage people to be careful to not read too much into people's voting decisions. When I talk to people in everyday life, I find that who they vote for isn't necessarily the best expression of their entire worldview. You, you can't separate people's decision to vote from the immense amount of social pressure, first of all, that exists to do that. Mm-hmm. The, the, the benefits of not voting. What are the benefits of not voting? I mean, no one's going to give you a button. No one's going to give you a raise. Like, there's literally nothing good someone is going to do for you if you don't vote. And the cost of not voting is pretty high. Almost everyone in your life is going to hate you and look like you're part of the problem and they're going to talk about you and they're going to put you on the defense. So I expect most people, black and white, to vote because the incentives are in that direction. And most people, not just black folks, when it comes to voting, most people kind of reveal to you through their actual behavior where they really are by voting in pretty predictable ways based on what demographic they're in. If you're Catholic, I kind of know where you stand on abortion And I kind of know that your guy can screw up in every way possible. And as long as he takes your stance on abortion, I know exactly how you're going to vote. We can do it in terms of Catholic, the LGBTQ community. We can do it in terms of university professors. We can do it in terms of black folks, white folks who live in Hollywood, black folks who are rich, white folks who are poor. Tell me your demographic And with a pretty low margin of error, I can tell you how you're probably going to vote by just knowing two to three things about what each person who's running represents. And what that means is that most people's voting decision is not a reflection of the philosophy that they rely on to get through their everyday lives. Most people's voting decision is the result of a combination of social pressure and cultural influence. But that doesn't mean that these people are sitting around all day in between election days thinking explicitly about political philosophy and economic policy, which is why I always laugh when people on the right are like, Black Lives Matter is a Marxist organization. It's like, well, first of all, do you realize that most people who say that phrase don't even know what Marxism is, <laughs> that, that they don't even care, that you pointing this out to them makes no difference to them at all, that they're, that they're having a completely different conversation. I get the whole argument about if you give money to the organization, whatever, whatever, but most people ain't even thinking on that level. They're not, they're not getting their views from textbooks, man. That's not where it's happening. And so change happens at the level of, of culture, It happens at the level of the conversations we're having in our own communities and the work that we're doing in our own communities. And so what I want to say about black folks is you get a very different image of people when you actually go among them and you work with them. You don't just use them as political talking points that you make slam dunks on, but you actually engage them at the level of relationship. Instead of getting on TV being like, I feel your pain, you actually turn the camera off and you go into the hood 
and you talk with people. You play basketball with people. You hang out at the barbershops and you hear what folks are really talking about. And people will surprise you. People will surprise you because it's very different than what you'll get looking on TV. But you got too many people now, man, getting their image of black folks and white folks, Trump voters and Biden voters uh, off some Twitter video um, that's probably created by a bot anyway or some Twitter account, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, I like how you always bring it down to the individual and the human connection. And, uh, you know, because I feel like that is that is the difference maker. You know, that is the change maker is when you can really when you can really do that and you can sit in front of someone and relate to them on a a level because we're not these uh, singular identities. Right. I mean, we're multifaceted, multi-talented. We have so many amazing things. Uh, that contribute to the makeup of who we are as these amazing beings living in this wild re- version of reality that we're experiencing right now. It's pretty crazy when you think about it. But, you know, um, who I'm wondering, like, who are some of your inspirations? Where, you know, w- w- did you look to like authors, books or people that were in your community, leaders, your parents? Like who was really like uh, some of your biggest um, influences and, and inspirations? Yeah. So when I say I've never been a status, I don't mean I was introduced to, um, you know, anarchist philosophy at an early age and I became an anti-status when I was really young. Yeah. I mean, Murray I Rothbard was, was your babysitter. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Although I wish that would have been really fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would love to see uh, what alternate universe would I turn out to be like in that universe. Um <laughs> But what I mean is I I was never taught to even deem that as relevant. And so my biggest influences were and still are my mom and dad. You know, my father's a pastor. My mom's an evangelist. And every night as a family, we read the Bible together and we talked about what we read. We, we, We never my parents were really big on not treating religion as a set of empty rituals to be mindlessly followed. Mm-hmm. They would often quote that, that they would often quote a verse in the Bible that referred to having a form of godliness, but denying the spirit thereof. And they were really big on making sure that as their children, we didn't learn how to become experts at playing religion. Because if, mm-hmm. you, if you've ever been to a church, you know that um, you can be a complete non-believer, but there's a certain way you can gesture a certain way you can talk. There's Christian needs you can learn how to speak in, and you can you can look religious real good, real fast once you learn the lingo. I know what that's all about. Yeah, I I grew up uh, Roman Catholic, going to church every Sunday. But you know, my parents would like scream and curse, and then they go to confession and be like, you know, it's all it's all good. It's it's okay on Sunday. Everything's fine. We're back. We get to reset for the week on one exactly. you know, for two hours. Yeah, but exactly. that's amazing. I love what you're saying. Please continue. Yeah. Yeah, to to quote one Eastern Orthodox um, uh, author, he says that it's not the it's not the dead faith of the living; it's the living faith of the dead, mm. and and that is something that my parents taught me. They they wanted me to understand this faith based approach to life as something that was completely worthless if it wasn't applicable to not getting along with one of my classmates on a Tuesday afternoon as something that wasn't worth having belief in if it didn't help me deal with my psychological conflicts, if it didn't help me deal with getting a job. It's a way of life. And 
they influenced me heavily in that regard, and I'm immensely grateful for that. In addition to that, I grew up in a rather large church community, and you know, in 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 in, in the black church, man, you don't you don't go to service and then leave. We, I I never experienced that until I I went to a white school and I went to this all white Catholic church, and like as soon as mass was over, everybody got the heck up out of there. In black churches, man, folks will stay back for two hours, you know, talking, hanging out, you know. Uh, going out to eat together, going over each other's houses to watch the game. And it was very community oriented. And so I had dozens of older men and older women that were mentors. I had dozens of, of peers that were like brothers and sisters, you know, who could help hold me accountable to my goals and also challenge me to think outside of my own natural habits. And And that was a big influence. And then my parents traveled a lot and, and we often got the chances to go on with them, go along with them. Or there would also be guests, you know, ministers that would come into town. And so growing up, I had a chance to just interact with a lot of other pastors, a lot of other like leaders of spiritual communities and be able to just pick their brains, ask them questions, hang out with them. And when I look at a lot of the things that are going on in the world today, I'm truly grateful that I had a chance to grow up around a lot of men who taught me that being a man is a good thing and who taught me how to embrace my masculinity as as a powerful divine reality that there is absolutely nothing wrong with. They didn't teach me how to get in touch with my feminine side. They taught me how to take the masculinity that God gave me and intended me to have and harness it constructively. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um and I'm grateful for that. Men who taught me how to be a man in this world. Yeah. And um, yeah, th th those are some of my biggest influences, man. I, I can, we can talk about books and stuff like that, but let me pause there for a second. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, that's, that's, really, um, that's really special to have that, you know, to have that. And, and wow. I mean, just I, 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 and when I think of it, I think of the, the power of somebody as a pastor, as a, as a preacher, as a communicator. Right, because I think the the language that we use, the, the the way that we speak, the way that we listen to each other, and as you were talking about that, the value of that community and people coming together, it sounded like there was a lot of really healthy, you know, debate and, and discourse that was not just um, on this surface level of being nice, but actually challenging and truthful, holding people accountable and in check. That's, in my opinion, that sounds like a really healthy way to experience growing up in this world. And I'm wondering, like, you, I feel like you, you, you channel that sort of energy too. You know, you're really an excellent communicator and, and, and distilling these sort of, you know, ideas that, um, could be interpreted as kind of complex to, to sort of the, the average person in a way that's easily understandable, easily digestible. Um, so yeah, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're, uh, maybe you want to talk a little bit about that and what, what that does, the power of really distilling a message and communicating that and inspiring people, because I think that is what we need is to be inspired so we can awaken to our own power and creativity, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, on, on the communication piece, My philosophy on that is this. I don't, I don't know if the world will ever remember me as a great communicator. And 
I don't care because that's not enough to stop me from communicating. I don't need that debate to ever be settled. I don't communicate because I think there's a possibility the world might regard me as great. I communicate because I can't imagine an existence in which I'm not doing that. I'm communicating because my nature compels me to do it. And I think a lot of people hold themselves back from expressing what is within them because they're worried that they might not make history or they're worried that they don't have anything completely original to say. Or they're worried that some know-it-all on the internet is going to be like, dude, I already heard this before. You're not saying anything new. Stop making noise. You're mediocre. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've never let that kind of stuff hold me back because, first of all, I believe that the first audience you should address in anything that you do is yourself. What's the point of starting with what you think other people like if you have to be bored with yourself in order to deliver it to them? Right. One of the great joys of, of choosing your own life, whether it's going into business or writing a book or starting a podcast, one of the great joys of choosing your own way is that you get to start with something that you actually like. And I don't think what you like is the end all be all of existence. You can't make a living just based on what you like. You've got to figure out how to take what you like and then use it in a way that's relevant to things that other people care about. But you should start with what you like. If you're starting with like, well, what's going to make money or what do other people want or what's guaranteed? Then you're at risk of being this person that's fundamentally bored with themselves. And I never want to be bored with myself. So I, I do things first and foremost because it makes me come alive. One of my favorite quotes is by Howard Thurman. He says, ask not yourself what the world needs, but rather what makes you come alive? For that is what the world needs. People who have come alive. I, I always see on a daily basis somebody that's got more followers than me, more fans than me, more people just celebrating them as me. And as far as I know, I'm not in any of the discussions about greatest motivational speakers of our time. If you go anywhere and be like, who are some of the great motivational speakers of our time? They're going to tell you people like Gary Vee. They're going to tell you Eric Thomas. I'm not a part of that discussion. And I don't know if that will change or not, but that's not going to stop me from doing what makes me come alive. The second thing I would say is that another thing that, that does drive me is the knowledge that there are people in this world that will only receive certain things because they come from certain people. So you might be able to explain anarchy much better than me, but I can take you to some neighborhoods where they're not even going to listen to you no matter what. They're just not going to listen to you because you're not from there. Right. But then we put the same thing in somebody else's mouth, even though they only like 25% as good as you at it. They're going to treat that like, oh, my gosh, that's the dopest thing I ever heard. And, and we all have people that will tune us out because of some assumption they made about us or how we look, how we sound, where we where we come from, who we work with. And there are always people that will tune us in for those exact same reasons. And so I look at communication as making a decision to do your part. Maybe you're not the best, but the goal ain't to be the best. The goal is to reach the people that will only receive it from you. And we all have those people. We all have a unique sphere of influence that nobody else is going to be able to get through to. Yeah. Yeah, man. And and I, I 
really respect, uh, you know, everybody's personal choices to what they what they believe in. And, you know, th- this show, I, I often, you know, I'm a psychedelic practitioner and I, I that's what I do. And that's where I find my connection with the divine. And, you know, I kind of just like. I will say that that the the teachings of of Jesus, like I am a big like fan of that because they they completely re- like they're they're completely in alignment with everything that I experience when I go to realms of altered states, you know. And uh, so I, I like that you keep you you bring that up and and that you use that as your like your guiding post. I'm wondering if you think that like, do you think that one of the things that in in our world today do you think that one of the things that's really dividing us is that people don't have something like that? They don't have like a, a religion, a belief system. They, they don't believe in themselves. They're, you mentioned the religion of government and politics and stuff like that. Maybe that's where a lot of people's energy and attention is getting sucked into in the media and how they do that stuff. But, uh, but I do find that having that sort of core faith and that core experience of, of the divine and that belief is something that is uh, that 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 can kind of like bridge the gaps where we can come together and communicate on that level because everybody experiences that at their core, I think, right, or at least wants to experience at their at their core. Um, so yeah, the reason why I bring that up, uh, up is just because you know there's as you were saying before about being a political atheist. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's definitely a lot of people that might get like, oh, like you know, religion is bad too or whatever. But when you're really talking about the ideas. When you're really getting rid of the bullshit and you just get down to the ideas, that's where I think that uh, that we can all feel connected in that sense. Do you think that's important, though? And do you think we're lacking that right now where we really need something in our culture to sort of rally around? Yeah. So when 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 most people criticize religion and, and treat it like it's bad, I, I think I think th- there's a failure to make the distinction between the exoteric and the esoteric dimensions of religious belief. And that's always an element, right? The exoteric refers to, we can just say, the outer trappings of that religion. So if you're Catholic, it's making the sign of the cross, right? Or genuflecting or something like that. Every religion has this exoteric component. It has its relics, it has its rituals, and so forth. But then the esoteric dimension refers to the the inner core of that faith. It refers to the, the, the mystical thread. It, it refers to that aspect of the faith that focuses on oneness with God or on self-actualization or enlightenment or the transformation of consciousness. And so you might think of, of, a, of a practice like meditation, for instance, as, as being more in the esoteric direction. Um, you can even get into esoteric interpretations of scripture versus exoteric interpretations of scripture. And what a lot of people react to when they react negatively against religion is a lifeless exoteric dis- display of religious belief. That's you have someone, you know, who's like a total jerk or they choose to be a loser or they're just they just choose to be a bad person, do a bad things or whatever. They waste their time, but they feel very self-righteous because they have the correct theological beliefs. Mm. You know, like you work hard and they don't. You treat people with respect and they don't. You respect others' individual rights and they don't. But hey, they think I've got the right theological belief. So I go to heaven, you die. We should reject that because that's nonsense. Religion itself rejects that. 
many, many practitioners of religion may not know that their own religion rejects that. And that's not surprising because most practitioners of religion don't necessarily study the source documents or, you know, for themselves. But religions condemn that. It's, it's about it's about understanding who we are and connecting to our own hero's journey. And I believe that is what humanity needs. So do I believe that everybody needs to go to church? No. Do I believe that everybody needs to be calling up a pastor asking for advice? No. Do I believe everybody just needs to start mindlessly memorizing Bible verses and convert to Catholicism? That's not, I don't think that's any more of a solution as anything else because there is nothing in life so wonderful, beautiful, powerful, and good that it can't be instantly negated by blind submission or blind application. The only things that are useful in life are, are things that we approach with a mindset of thinking critically and creatively about how we're going to apply it. And so I think what people need is a sense of aliveness and a sense of direction, a sense of purpose and meaning. And yes, I do believe that for a lot of people, they get that from politics. When you really talk to people about why they think what they do about politics, it isn't because they understand how government financing works. It isn't because they understand negative externalities. It's because they just want to be a good person. And, and, and they have their ideas just like anybody else about what would make the world better. And when they look out on people that they think are suffering and they're moved with empathy, they want to do something about it. And certain things make them feel inspired towards that end. Certain things make them feel angry towards that end. I think that's where most people at, you know, and, and if you can hold off on the jokes, the jokes are fun. But if you can hold off on like the jokes that are designed to trigger people that you've labeled your political enemies and you just kind of talk to them for a little bit, you see, you see, that's where most people are coming from, you know, and but but I, I do believe that religion in many ways, the the. The voices of religion have failed to to speak on behalf of religion in a way that makes people interested and inspired. You know, um, Jesus told his disciples to let your light so shine, like let your light shine before men so that people will see your good works and glorify your, your father in heaven. I would say, I mean. Do we see that happening today? Are people just like running up to Christians like, yo, what do y'all know? What are y'all tapped into? Like, what are y'all tapped into? What kind of meditations are y'all doing? And, and that's actually the burden that that religious practitioners share. And unless religious practitioners actually live interesting and compelling lives, we should expect the world to look for someone else, look for something else to provide answers to its quest for meaning. Mm, yeah but as you you were saying that 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 comes a lot from within that kingdom from within right it's like getting in touch with that what have and, you and, and, by, by the way religious people had the biggest problem with jesus it, it, you know they had it wasn't the tax collector the adulteress the pro it wasn't those people the biggest problem was with the religious leaders because he was saying hey look i mean i i, I come to build an inner kingdom i come to build a, a kingdom where the leper has a place. 
all the people that you despise have a place. You know, that points us back to that esoteric dimension. Really, though, I I think when it comes down to it, again, it's I, I think we get trapped up in analyzing things at the level of abstractions like the collective or a society. And I think, again, it comes down to the individual. Right. So at an individual level, we all have to battle our own resistance. We have an innate evolutionary impulse towards progress. And we also have fears that that come with that. I, I know this isn't an original analogy, but it, it's it's like, uh, you know, the whole notion of how uh, the baby eagle learns to fly. The, the mother kicks it out of its nest and in the desperation, flapping its wings to save its life, it discovers, oh, snap. I got the ability to soar, right? We we can look at that as sort of an analogy for humanity where we have this ability to soar beyond imagination, but in order to activate that ability, it is necessary that we move towards experiences that frighten the hell out of us and make us feel like this is the end. We have to live on the edge. And each of us has to make a choice if we're going to be honest about what that edge is. And when people don't make that choice, they contribute to a certain kind of society. When people do make that choice, they contribute to another kind of society. And what we witness on a broad scale is that battle being played out. But that battle is a secondary expression of the battles that individuals around the world are winning or losing with themselves. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Vote for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, man. Yeah, me too, for sure. And um, yeah, I, 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 I want to get into a little bit about like your, what are, what are your dreams? What are, what are you thinking about? What do you, you know, maybe like before you go to sleep at night, what are you thinking? Like, oh man, like, you know, I, I can't wait to this, for this project to unfold. I, I hope that it accomplishes this aim or this thing. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, like I'm, I'm wondering about sort of what, what your dreams and, and visions are. Oh man. Well, I've, I've always said that I want, I want my life to be defined not by a particular job, nor by a particular organizational affiliation, but I want it to be defined in terms of a series of creative projects that express how I want to direct my power at that time and that express what makes me come alive at that time. So at one point, that project was Praxis and the work that I was doing with Isaac Morehouse to help create an alternative higher education system. And I have no regrets for the work that I've done for the past six years. I'm very proud of that work. I believe that we changed the conversation on education. And I believe we made major contributions to an environment now where it's pretty uncontroversial to say the things that people hated us for saying six years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, if you say, hey, you can, you can create a successful career without a degree, people react to you as if you're kind of boring. Before, people were accusing us of being like me, being scammers, being all sorts of things for daring to say that kind of stuff. And so I'm proud that we kind of changed that conversation. Now, the project that I'm focused on 
is the Revolution of One Project. And I've got goals with that. And I've got goals with the Akimbo All-MBA Workshop. And that's got my attention for now. But the important thing for me in my life is to remember that I am not my job. I am not the project that I'm working on. I am not the people that I work with or that I work for. I'm TK Coleman, and that is an ever-evolving entity. And the advice I give to others about dreams is the advice I give to myself. Follow your dreams, but don't forget to let your dreams follow you. Because as you follow your dreams, you will acquire experiences, you will encounter people, you will have epiphanies, you will discover things about yourself, and you'll expand in ways that you can't predict. And you need to upgrade your dreams so that they can keep up with the ever-evolving person you're becoming. And so I can't say what I'm going to be interested in 10 years, 10 years from now, but I want to be the type of dude who will have created the freedom for myself so that wherever that is, whatever that is, I can just go do it. Yeah. But for now, for now, I'm going to do this revolution of one thing because I, I, I want to spend the next like couple of years getting this built up so that I can have more people in in the so-called liberty space and beyond realizing that personal development is not just some sort of neutral thing, but it is a process that has significant political implication. Yeah, right. Yes, 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 yes. And it's and it doesn't have to come with this with these labels attached to it. I think uh, so oftentimes people will hear something and they'll be like, oh, well, that's just uh, oh, that's a bunch of bullshit. That's a marketing scam. Oh, that's like uh, Tony Robbins bull, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, if you can kind of cut past that and just get to the core of what this what TK Coleman is saying, like what this individual is saying, because they're doing it in a whole different way and they're coming from a different place. And so often we get the, the waters get muddied by misconceptions and, you know, preconceived ideas or labels or things like that. Things that people have heard and they've just, it's just, they've attached to it. So, you know, one of the things that I, that I heard from your recent appearance with, uh, with Chris Ryan from his like community was, um, and you know, this is kind of like, my show is there's more like ANCAP Liberty focused people on my show, and, and I'm mm-hmm. proud of that for bringing that message to the psychedelic conscious, you know, community in that way. Um, whatever they want to be called, whatever it is, you know, <laughs> labels are so tricky, but like, but like, there's a lot like these people that are coming, they'll be like, oh, well. You know, that's that tried uh, Chicago school way that failed. That's that freedom stuff. Uh, you know, Naomi Klein, she wrote about how that's all bullshit. And, you know, um, uh, the the Koch brothers and, and their money. And they're, they're just these evil people. And so we can't take any of this stuff seriously. And, you know, I'm sure you, you hear about that stuff. I saw you responding to some Instagram posts about that. And, you know, I think it's like part of fighting this fight for liberation and freedom and peace and unleashing the divinity within to, to create a more creative and prosperous and healthy world and economy that, that are functioning with people that are happy and enthusiastic and inspired. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't come without its resistance. It doesn't come without its misconceptions, without its labels. Um, so yeah, I was wondering maybe if you just want to kind of like go off on like, you know, that whole yeah. thing, because, because it's a big, it's a big thing. And, and, and really what you're doing is, is empowering individuals and unleashing creative freedom into the world. And I think it's an amazing thing. And so, yeah, maybe if you want to just kind of like riff a little bit on, on those kind of, you know, I'm sure you heard a, a lot of that stuff before, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is a real good topic, man. I, I got a few things I can say on this. So there's something Seth Godin says that I really like when he talks about developing a product or service. He says, 
don't just ask who is it for ask who is it not for Mm. because in order for your efforts to be effective you absolutely must be clear with yourself about who this product and service isn't for if you don't know who you can afford to leave displeased and unsatisfied you are at risk of being manipulated by anybody and everybody that complains about the work that you do and that's a very dangerous position to be in because Without exception, no matter who you are and no matter what you do, there is always somebody. If you choose to help a certain person, there's always somebody that says, man, you wasting your time with that dude. If you choose to start a certain project, there's always somebody who says, well, to be honest, I think your efforts will be better spent elsewhere. If you walk into a room and you inspire people with the use of your gifts and talents, there's always somebody that says, well, I'm not impressed by what this person is doing. There is always somebody who is observing your work thinking to themselves, that's stupid, that's an inefficient use of time, that's an inefficient use of resources. Some of those people are worth listening to. Some of those people are are, uh, necessarily ignored. But what you got to do in life is you got to decide who is your somebody? Who is the somebody you want to focus on and who is the somebody that you want to serve? And when you get the answer to those questions, you got to double down on your purpose and be done with it. Best advice I ever received was decide who you want to be a hero for and ignore everybody else. So look, for all of the libertarians or ANCAPs or voluntarists, whatever, whatever this conversation was about, if you got a problem with me, okay, most statists have problems with all of us. So what are we going to do about that? What are we going to do about the fact that the overwhelming majority of people see all of us as fringe? So while we sit here having a debate about how relevant I am or whether or not what I will work, the majority of the world look at all of us as a bunch of fringe lunatics. Yeah. And, and, and how do you guys handle that? Let me guess. Let me guess. Y'all handle it the same way I handle it. You say, okay, but I'm not structuring my beliefs and my lifestyle in such a way so as to please the majority of people. I am allowing myself to be guided by my own research and my own reflections, my own sense of what is true. My life is governed by my principles, my priorities, and my preferences. And if there are people who say, well, that's not going to work. That's cool. Luckily for you, you ain't got to live this life. But for me, I would be in hell if I didn't live the life I wanted to live, if I didn't go my own way. Because somebody else told me they didn't think it was a good path, right? Like, I, I've, I've got to go with my own knowledge. Now, I'll hear you out. I'll listen to your arguments. And if it changes my mind, then I'll go with my newfound belief. But mere disagreement is nothing. I wrote something on Twitter today. It was about, you know, I, I said that uh, if your presence is indistinguishable from your absence, then that's the definition of being irrelevant. If you are in a conversation or in a relationship or you're a member of a team, your presence there should have some sort of unique impact. You got to let your presence felt because you're in the room for a reason. Refuse to be irrelevant. Some guy responded to that and said, I disagree. I disagree. He didn't say nothing else. He didn't tell me what he disagreed with. He didn't tell me why he disagreed with. He just said, I disagree. Okay, that's cool, right? That's cool, man. That's the kind of world we live in, right? We live in a world where... You have to be you have to put your big boy pants on and you've got to be a big enough an adult to know that whatever you do, there's somebody that's going to respond. I disagree. I disagree with who you are. I disagree where your money come from. I disagree with how you look. I disagree with the analogies that you use. I disagree with everything you are, brother. Okay, 
There's no escape from that. And once you realize there's no neutral ground upon which you can stand, once you realize that to move in any direction is to be opposed by some direction, you lose that sense of having to justify yourself every time somebody got a problem with something that you do. Let me give a second part to this. Yeah. Because that dialogue you referenced, the conversation about coke, this is an interesting one to me. If I had to summarize a concern like that, when somebody says, oh, but this guy works from an organization that received X amount of dollars from this donor over here, I imagine the concern must be something like this. If you are receiving money from someone that you disagree with on important issues, then the acceptance of such money would be a compromise on your integrity. Now, I've got another possibility, but let's just address that one. Sure. If I allow myself to believe that it is a compromise on my integrity to receive money from someone because I disagree with them about something important, I literally wouldn't be able to take money from anyone, including you, including <laughs> yeah. all the people on Reddit you're talking about, including all libertarians and all voluntarists, because I don't know anybody out there that I agree on everything with. In fact, every employer I've ever had has been a statist, a raging statist at a level that's offensive to me. So when I worked at restaurants or when I worked in retail, I worked in grocery stores and it was time for me to get my check. I didn't ask myself, wait a minute, boss, do you agree with my philosophy of ethics, my philosophy of governance? Do you subscribe to the non-aggression principle? No. You, don't, you want to know what question I asked myself? The question I asked myself was, do I believe in the work that I did 100%? Do I believe that I earned every dollar through hard work? And am I proud and guiltless about the value that I created through this hard work? If the answer to that question is yes, I don't care nothing about the, the your philosophy as far as taking your money is concerned. Right now, but there's an additional concern. Maybe maybe somebody sees it like like this. Yeah, that's that's all cute and everything, but once you take money from someone, you now become their puppet. Okay, you now become a puppet of their agenda. You now have to say things that you don't believe. Or you have to suppress things that you do believe. Now, I would actually agree with that premise that if you do that, that would make you a puppet. Right. Yeah. And I, I think if there's anybody out there that's taking money from somebody and they are suppressing what they really think and feel or they're spouting stuff that they don't actually think and feel, then, yeah, that does make you a puppet. And I guess if you happy being a puppet, that's on you. I can't be happy being a puppet. I made my mind up a long time ago that I wouldn't hesitate to walk away from a paycheck if it requires requires me to be somebody that I can't look at with self-respect. If that's the case, then once again, my question is not, A, who's donating money to my organization? My question is, am I saying what I really believe? If the answer to that question is yes, that's all that matters. Am I, am I suppressing what I really believe? If the answer to that question is no, or if it ever needs to become no, I'm, I'm moving on and I'm doing something different. You know, when I, when I give young people career advice, one of the things I say is you really can say what you want in this world. There are a lot of people who, who, who perpetuate the myth of cancelization, but you can actually say whatever you want. 
If you want to spend your career making fun of the left, you can actually do that. If you want to spend your career making fun of the right, you can actually do that. You can make fun of whoever you want. You can, you can endorse whatever the hell you want. But what you have to do is you have to achieve alignment between who's paying you and what you want to say. You got to make sure that if somebody wants to sponsor you or support your efforts, that you are clear with them about what your message will be and what your message won't be. And as long as they sign off on that, it doesn't even matter if they're giving the money because they think it makes them look good. I remember years ago, man, George Mikan, he's a, a center for the Los Angeles Lakers, Hall of Famer, long retired. But when he passed away, uh, rumor had it that his family didn't really have the money to pay for the funeral. So Shaq, who was an all-star Lakers center at that time, was like, hey, George Mikan is the guy that made it possible for me to do what I'm doing. He's one of the greatest Lakers of all time. I'm going to pay for that funeral. And you know what everybody said? It was so predictable. Everybody was like, oh, Shaq's just doing that because it makes him look good. Now, I think that's a little bit cynical, but let's assume it for the sake of argument. Let's just assume that he only did that to make himself look good. From the perspective of the Mikan family, does it matter? The man needed to be buried. Burying him was a good thing. Resources were required to make it happen. Who cares if Shaq provided the resources in order to make himself look good? All that matters is that you were able to get the resources that you needed without compromising your integrity. Now, if Shaq said, hey, um, as a condition for me giving you this money, you have to make up a story about George Mike and saying I'm the greatest center of all time. Well, now we got a different thing. Right. And, and, and to go back to something that I said earlier, you know, for me, I just have no red pill story when it comes to this stuff. And you, you can actually go back and you, you can see what I've been talking about all my life. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and, and I go from project to project. But before fee, before praxis and, and after fee and after praxis, I'm preaching freedom, man. Yeah. And, 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 and if I come across some black kid that was able to get an education, uh, that was able to to start off his career because of a paycheck that was written for him by a member of the KKK. I'm not going to say to that young brother, did you know that a member of the KKK paid for your apprenticeship? No. What I'm going to say to that brother is, hey, man, were you true to yourself the whole time? Did you use those resources for your well-being? Did you make sure you didn't let that man make a puppet out of you? All right, young brother, go do your thing. That's yeah. my word on that kind of stuff, man. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get caught up. Let me say one last thing on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I always look at things, things from an educator's perspective, from a coach's perspective. I always think in terms of like, what would I want my kids to know? What would I want these 15, 16, 17, 18 year old young brothers that I talk to? What would I want them to know? Yeah. And I, and I think this is a good teaching moment right here. The fact that I'm even addressing this is a good teaching moment. Be very careful about falling into the trap of feeling like you need to justify yourself to people. Because everywhere you go, you're going to have people that fold their arms and say, I refuse to give you my approval or my affection unless you tap dance to the music that I want to play. There are people that will try to, they'll try to read you and they'll try to get a sense of what you need from them. They'll try to get a sense of what drives you 
and then they'll try to threaten you accordingly. I won't accept you as someone that's a true libertarian unless you meet this condition. I won't accept you as someone that's a good person or a real Christian or a non-racist unless you meet this condition. And then you find yourself, oh, but, 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 but I, I swear I'm not racist. I have a black friend. Uh, my brother dated a black woman and I didn't have a problem with it. I have a black dog. And you're gone, man. You're gone. Because, because now they have you, right? <laughs> now you're tap dancing. My fish is black, I swear. Right, 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 right. <laughs> now you're tap dancing. You're not going to win this game. Th this is a power play. This is someone that is putting themselves on a pedestal and saying, justify yourself to me, boy, or I will not give you my approval. And the proper response is to kick that pedestal from off their foot and say, look, if you want to support what I'm doing, I welcome your efforts. If you don't want to support what I'm doing, I'm not going to be bitter towards you. Ain't nobody got time for that. But the last thing I'm about to do is sit here and justify myself before you. I'm a grown ass man just like you. I'm about to live my purpose point blank, period. And if you if I have your approval, fantastic. I hope it helps because there are a lot of people out there who give me their kind words and it just doesn't do much. So I hope your approval helps. And if I don't have your approval, no problem. I'm still going to have my impact. Because that's what it means to be a man in this world. That's what it means to be an adult in this world, to respect yourself as a creative force, even in the face of resistance. And that's something that we all got to deal with. So if, if you're out there, you know, accept challenges, think critically about what you believe. Don't get defensive and butt hurt if somebody challenges your philosophy. Hold yourself accountable to thinking things through. But also don't fall into the trap of thinking that you got to justify yourself to everybody because there's always going to be somebody out there that disapproves of how you do it. What matters is your conscience clear. Do you prove of what you're doing? And if the answer is yes, that's all that matters. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Amen. Amen, brother. Yeah. I think that like that is the, it's it's sort of the great equalizer and liberator is this true, true, true free market uh, value system because it is literally saying like we we cannot just limit people to one singular identity and have that be a total representation of them you know in, in alchemy in magic it's about the transformation right i mean even to 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 invoke a, a biblical um uh thing is a, the the transformation of water into wine like this this alchemy this transformation and we're not always going to agree on on the thousand things that we hold to be true or believe in. But if there is common ground in one or two different spaces and it's like, hey, you take this and you can go and you can make something happen. If you can make something happen, what's the grand conspiracy? What's the propaganda here that we want everyone to be free and in charge of their own lives, unencumbered yeah. by outside forces? Like, how is this possibly a negative thing uh, is beyond me. But anyway... Man, I always feel like with these podcasts, we're just starting to get into the heat of it, and I got to yeah. go. Uh, I got another show going on in about uh, 15 minutes. But TK, man, I, I, I love connecting with you. I, I feel like uh, we could have went in any different direction, and, and we had the podcast that we had, and and I uh, hope you're you're feeling good about it. I, I'm feeling good about it. Any... You know, I don't know. It's always it's beginning a podcast and ending a podcast is always strange to me. I, I guess it's uh it's like there's no good way to wrap, especially when I'm feeling high off of the uh, off the conversation. But I do just want to say that that uh, people should go and, and follow you and check out your stuff. And uh, yeah, tell them where they can go do that and and get get a, fully absorbed into the TK Coleman experience. 
Yeah, you can come to my website at tkcoleman.com. You can check out my, my Rev1 project at fee.org slash Rev1. And, you know, my, I guess my parting words is um, freedom is scary. And if we're being brutally honest, freedom is much more difficult than its alternatives. If that were not the case, it wouldn't be the thing that is so readily and frequently given away and abandoned in every generation. You don't have to fight for something if everybody finds the value of it to be obvious. You have to fight for things when the value of it is not obvious. It's kind of like losing weight. It's kind of like mastering a new skill. It's like improving any area of your life where you never get to see short-term results. You only see results after you've been getting after it for a long time. Freedom is like that. It's the type of thing where you can fight and fight and fight and feel like you're not getting anywhere because its value is non-obvious. The rhetoric of it is very popular. We all give lip service to it, but freedom is hard. And I think owning the fact that freedom is hard helps you be able to appreciate other people's struggle and embracing it. And when you can empathize with other people's struggle, it can make you more effective at creating little bridges that can help move them across in areas of their life where they're ready to move it across. When I coach students and professionals, they usually come to me with one thing on their mind, one problem that's bugging them. But it's pretty clear in the first 10 minutes that they got about 20 problems in their life. And if I, if I held it out as a prerequisite, I'm not going to help you with the thing that you came to talk to me about unless you go get those other 20 things straight. I would never be able to help anybody. I've got to address what they've come to me about. And hopefully that gives me the opportunity to maybe help them with some other things. And even if it doesn't, I take joy that I was able to do some good. And I think it's the same thing with freedom. We have to win small battles. Everybody is ready to embrace the philosophy of freedom in some area of their lives. There is no one that wants interventionism dominating everything. Don't nobody want the government coming into their bedroom telling them, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like everybody got pockets and spaces in their lives where they're not only ready to fight for freedom, but where they're ready to experience a little bit more of them. And so what we have the power to do is to connect with people at those levels and say, all right, I'm not going to get you to read, you know, Rothbard. I'm not going to get you to read this and that. But let's talk about that one little area where you're ready for freedom. And I'll take that small little victory because somebody else is going to come after me and build on that. And that's that's how we get a freer society. I'm not I'm not about creating a society in which every person feels free. I'm about helping cultivate individuals who can figure out how to be free in any society. And I think that's something that we have the power to do. And that's what I'm about. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about it, man. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Tend to the part of the garden that you can touch for sure. I, I, I love that. I love what you're doing. Go, you, everyone out there listening, you know how to use the internet. Go find TK. Uh, I love your Instagram page. Uh, follow you on Twitter as well. And uh, I got to look into to more of the things that you're doing. Appreciate your time today, man. And, and it was a great conversation. I feel the passion in everything that you, that you say. And, and I'm right there with you. So thanks for tuning in, folks. Till next time. Peace. 
Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. All the links are in the show notes, show description. And to support Mike Adelic, you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can become a patron and get access to all kinds of bonuses like the private Mike Adelic Inner Sanctum Discord chat group, bonus episodes, more goodies, merch, things of that nature. And check out our sponsors, sheathunderwear.com. Go to sheathunderwear.com. Put in the code MICADELIC. Get 20% off everything at sheathunderwear.com. It's awesome underwear. Go check it out. And check out Student Loan Tutor. Schedule a free evaluation. Studentloantutor.com. Tell them I sent you there. Thank you so much, all of you, to everybody who supports this show. Thank you for all the love and support, all the kind words. This show wouldn't be possible without you. You know who you are, and you know what to do if you love things. Tell people about it, share it, like it, subscribe, and stay tuned for more awesome episodes like this. Shout out to Danny Barnett and Galaxia for the intro and outro songs. And of course, to all you out there, much love. Peace.